Welcome to Vetsplanation. I'm Tyler, or you can call me Shugs. I love being able to educate my pet parents on what's going on with their furry little loved one. But as an emergency veterinarian, I'm usually running around from critical case to critical case and don't always have the time to be able to tell you what I've learned in 25 years of experience in just those short two minutes. I'm hoping with this podcast, I'm going to be able to help you guys understand what your veterinarian is trying to tell you. So let's jump into this week's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. So we're going to continue our holiday talk with some of the toxins that we commonly find around the holidays, like November, December-ish. So today we're going to talk about lily toxicity. We're talking about who it affects, how it affects them, what part of the lily affects them, clinical signs, diagnosis, treatments, and prognosis for it. So just to start off, who does this affect? Really, this just affects cats. We don't really have to worry about it too much in dogs, at least for the types of lilies that we commonly see around this type of year. There are some lilies that will affect dogs, and we'll kind of get into that a little bit later. But the most common ones are going to be the ones that affect the cats. What part of the lily is toxic to cats? So technically, every part of that lily is toxic them just biting the leaf is toxic. They don't even have to ingest the leaf, just biting the leaf is toxic. Biting the petal is toxic. Eating part of the stem or the flower or the pollen, just even touching the pollen to their face or their paws, that can be toxic. They don't even have to ingest it. It's just touching it. Or ingesting the water that the lily was in. So not even eating the plant, just ingesting the water portion of it. So lilies are extremely toxic. And the most common time that they come into the house is through bouquets. So people are always bringing you nice bouquets of flowers, right? And you don't even notice sometimes that there's a lily in there. But any cat household should be like checking for those lilies to make sure that they're not in there. And either, you know, give the lily to somebody else who doesn't have cats or maybe toss it out because we just want to make sure that the lilies are not in the house with the cats. Even cats who normally don't go touching all of your other plants, they'll find something new in the house, think it's interesting, and then go over to it. And that's especially true with the lilies. I had a cat who luckily he did not develop kidney failure, but he did come back and had like just a yellow face all over his his nice white face that he normally had because the fact that he went up to the lily and just stuck his nose into the pollen area. He didn't even eat any part of it. It's literally just stuck his nose into the pollen. Which lilies are bad lilies? Because we said like there's actually lots of different lilies and most of them will actually cause kidney problems. We'll get into that in a second. But there's some of them that don't. There's some of them that cause other diseases as well. So the most common ones that we see that are going to cause kidney failure in cats is going to be the Easter lily, the Japanese lily, the ornamental lily, the stargazer lily, the Casablanca lily, tiger lily, and day lilies. And if you don't know what kind of lily this is, there's a really cool thing that the ASPCA does is if you send them a picture of the plant, they can identify the plant and tell you what kind of lily it is and if it's toxic. So if you do suspect that your cat got into lilies and you just aren't really sure what kind, you can call the ASPCA. So it's 
888-426-4435. Again, that's 888-426-4435. They do charge for their services, but you can email a picture to them and they'll be able to tell you exactly which lily it is and again, what if it's toxic and what the next step should be if you do find out that it is a toxic lily. Because like I said, some lilies are not actually going to cause a kidney problem. Some lilies are going to cause other problems. But we're going to focus on the kidney problem one right now. So, so what happens if you've gotten confirmation from the ASPCA or you know exactly which lily it is and you know that it's going to be a dangerous lily for your cat? You should bring your cat in immediately to the emergency room. We don't exactly know what causes the toxin. We just know that it caused you know, it's in any of those parts of the plant. But what we think happens is that after the cat has ingested that portion of the plant or the water or whatever it is, that the cat's own body creates this toxin. So it breaks it down into something that's a toxin. So our goal, first of all, is to hopefully make it so that the cat doesn't ingest whatever it is that's going to be broken down into the toxin because this toxin will go and affect the kidneys and cause an acute kidney failure meaning affecting the kidneys very quickly this isn't like a slow progression over a long period of time this is a very fast thing that happens so what are the clinical signs that you see you know let's say maybe you weren't sure that they'd drink the water because it's really hard to know if they drink the water. You just know that they start having these symptoms. So initially, they'll start having vomiting. They'll be lethargic. They might start drooling really excessively and not wanting to eat. And then in about 12 to 24 hours after ingestion, that's when they start showing signs of kidney failure. It's that quick that it can be just even half a day. Like imagine you just going to work and then coming back and seeing these clinical signs, like that's how quick this can be. So the signs that we're going to be looking for are drinking excessively, urinating excessively. They'll be really dehydrated. So sometimes if you put your finger on their gums on their in their mouth, it'll be like really sticky or really tacky. Or it can progress so badly that it gets to signs of like the cat does not urinate at all. That's not a good sign. And then within 36 to 72 hours, if nothing has been done about the toxicity, we didn't know that the cat got into it, it can lead to death. So super important that we just like look for those, those lilies and stuff before they even come into the house. How do we diagnose it now? Like the best way to diagnose it is knowing that the cat got into it. You seeing that the cat got into it or you seeing evidence of it, but Another evidence, another way we can like look for evidence of it is looking in the vomit. Sometimes you'll actually see part of the plant in the vomit and then you'll know that that means the cat did get into it. And then on our end of it, we're looking for what's called azotemia, which basically means that the cat's kidney values are really high and its urine is not high. Like the it's very dilute, meaning it looks more like water than it does, you know, like after you're really dehydrated, like let's say you went for a run, a really long run, and you didn't drink any water, your urine would be really, really dark yellow. And that's what it should be if the cat is just dehydrated. But when their kidneys are not working correctly, then it becomes very dilute and it looks more like water, even though they're dehydrated. 
So we're going to look for those clinical signs at home, and then we're also going to look for those signs of azotemia or those elevated kidney values on our blood work. So what can you do at home before you even get here? If you notice that your cat has yellow pollen all over its face or its paws, wash that pollen off immediately. Grab some Dawn dish soap, start scrubbing everything to try to get off as quickly as possible, and then bring them in. So the best first thing that we can do is trying to induce vomiting. Now, this caveat to that, it is really hard to get a cat to vomit, unfortunately. We give them a medication that's actually like a sedative. And, you know, and of course, when we give them a sedative and we don't want them to vomit, of course, they're going to vomit. But when we give them a sedative and we want them to vomit, it works about 50% of the time. And sometimes they will vomit it and sometimes they won't. You know, unfortunately, there's no other better medications to make them vomit besides the ones that we have, which are going to cause some sedation. And then if whether we can or we cannot get some of that stuff back, sometimes they'll recommend giving charcoal. If you did call the ASPCA or you called the Pet Poison Helpline, either one of them will give you a case number to give to us. And then we will call them and talk to them about a treatment plan based on what they think that your pet had gotten into, which is even still hard because we don't really know a toxic dose. We just kind of have to guess as to how bad this could potentially be based on blood work. And then sometimes, like I said, they will suggest doing charcoal. It's not always though, because it's a couple reasons. One, it's very hard to give charcoal to a cat. They don't want to swallow it. It tastes terrible. And when I'm talking about charcoal, like thinking about like the brick charcoal that you use for your like barbecue, it's like that kind of charcoal, but in a liquid form. Like it's black, it looks terrible. I'm sure it tastes terrible. So not very many cats are very tolerant of taking charcoal. And then the other problem is that it can increase their sodium levels. So we have to draw blood about four hours after we give it to make sure that the sodium is normal. If it's too high, then that can also cause problems, leads to some neurological things, which we don't want to have happen either. But the goal of the charcoal is to try to help the absorption, to try to push everything out as quickly as possible and absorb whatever toxin we can left. And then the biggest thing about when they, our treatment for our Lily ingestions is going to be putting them on IV fluids. So we're putting them on those fluids to be able to flush their kidneys out as much as we possibly can before that toxin can bind to the kidneys. And we do that for about 48 hours at least. So typically if we don't see any elevated kidney values when they come in, because we always draw blood work, when they come in to make sure that their kidney values are normal at that time. This gives us a baseline. So we know where those kidney values are going to go up or if they're going down. So we draw those, those initial blood work and hopefully those kidney values are normal. And then every 24 hours, we're rechecking those kidney values to see if they're going up or if they're going down, or they're staying the same. Ideally, we don't want them to go up at all. We want them to stay low in the normal range. But if they don't, then we're looking to see after we've put them on IV fluids, do those kidney values come down? And do they at the very least plateau? So let's say our kidney values, like the two big ones we look for are called the BUN and the creatinine. We're looking to see, like, do they come down to roughly about normal or are they going to plateau and just stay at whatever it is? So let's 
say for example creatinine so creatinine we want it to be under one but let's say it jumps up to 10 and then it comes down to about four if it stays roughly around four then we know that that's the plateau of it and we're not going to get any lower than that at least not at this point so sometimes we just want to know that it's plateaued before we can send them home and that might be at 48 hours or maybe that will be in you know three days four days five days after they've presented this really just kind of depends on them when they go home we usually have them off of iv fluids for 24 hours and then recheck that blood work if let's say that blood work was normal from before we want to just recheck it off of the IV fluids. There aren't very many cases of it, but some of them have had instances where those that BUN, that creatinine, has increased after being off that fluids. And then we know that the kidneys were actually affected. But it's not very common. So most of the time I do suggest to come back at that 72-hour mark, meaning 24 hours after the fluids are over, so we can just make sure that those kidney values are normal. If everything looks normal at that 48 hours and then also at that 72 hours, that's a great prognosis. That means that we did not have the kidneys affected and that's fantastic. Like that's the best that we could ask for. And usually as long as we've gotten them in within a couple of hours of ingesting that lily, it is usually a good prognosis, luckily. Now I will say that there are some more advanced aggressive treatments that most ER clinics do not have. But if you go to like a teaching hospital or a specialty center, sometimes they will have these things. And that's usually like hemodialysis. So that it's the same thing as like for people when they have kidney failure, you go in and it basically like filters the blood like a kidney to be able to try to get as much of that toxin out as possible. The hardest part about this though is usually it's best at the beginning of the treatment. So if you knew that they got into a large amount, they maybe already had kidney problems, who knows. But usually the very beginning of the treatment, when you first start doing fluids, like that's the best time to get aggressive and do hemodialysis. But that also is really expensive and is not something that's widely used and may not have been needed in the first place. It's really hard to tell. But again, it's not widely available and just really not widely used at all. So what is the prognosis for this? In general, like I said, if we get them in within the first couple of hours, their blood work looks good at 48 hours, 72 hours, great prognosis. That's fantastic. If this is left untreated, though, for about 18 hours, that's a terrible prognosis. And really, this just depends on the cat as well. Like Some cats are going to be really sensitive to it, and they're going to have unfortunately, worse damage to their kidneys than other cats are. And there's no way for us to know who's going to have kidney damage from this and who's not. The best thing that we can do is try to prevent it by putting them on, on those IV fluids. And then, like I said, if this is not treated for about 36 to 72 hours, that does unfortunately usually lead to death in them. Please remember that this podcast is for informational purposes only. This is not meant to be a diagnosis for your pet. If you have questions about diagnostics or about treatment options, please talk to your veterinarian about those things. Remember, we are all practicing veterinary medicine and medicine is not an exact science. Your veterinarian may have different treatment options. 
If you like our podcast, please leave a five-star review and hit subscribe so you'll be able to hear all the future episodes. Thank you again, and I wish you and your pet well.